today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. The writer of Hebrews goes on to explain that Jesus empathizes with our weaknesses, and he tells us why. It's because Jesus himself was tempted in every way that we are, but he didn't sin. And it's for this reason that Jesus has compassion for us, sympathizes with us, and is there for us because he made atonement instead of us. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Hebrews. When you're going through a trial, it's not always easy to talk to someone about it. What makes it easy is having someone to talk to who's been through the same thing. Pastor J.D. reminds us today that Jesus has empathy for us because he went through the same temptations. There's nothing you're going through that he hasn't dealt with before. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Hebrews chapter 4 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. We currently find ourselves in the book of Hebrews, and today's text is going to be chapter 4, verses 12 through 16. The writer of Hebrews, by the Holy Spirit, verse 12, writes, For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing, verse 13, in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Therefore, verse 14, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then, verse 16, approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Let's pray, if you would, please join with me. Loving Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word, and especially this portion here before us today. Lord, that's why we're here today. We're here because we want to hear you speak into our lives as only you can in that still, small, refining voice. 
very personally, very powerfully, if need be, confidentially, just between you and us as you minister to us and reveal to us that which you would have us to see in this passage today. Lord, please, will you speak? Your servants are listening. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you. So I want to talk with you today about one of the most powerful passages in all of Scripture concerning God's help in our time of need. I have to confess that actually this was deliberate. Before I took a couple of weeks off, I deliberately stopped at verse 11 in chapter 4. You're not upset with me, are you? I was saving the best for today. Verses 12 through 16. And I've been so looking forward to this well-known text that we have before us today, and this because of the profound impact it has had in my own life. God has used this particular passage of Scripture over the years in ways that only He can to minister to me in those times when you just cry out to Him, for help. Help, Lord, help. There is just chock full within these verses, promise after promise to us from our high priest. And this is important. We're going to talk about this in a moment. What follows are three ways, and actually in order, that God who, as we just read, empathizes with us, first reveals the problem to us, sort of a diagnosis, so as to be a help for us. And the first one is where it should be and where it all starts, and that's God's Word in verses 12 and 13. Now, sadly, for many a Christian, What the writer of Hebrews says here has been met with misunderstanding at best and confusion at worst, and I'll explain what I mean. God's Word is sharp. It's sharper, actually, than any double-edged instrument or sword, but not in the way you might imagine it. It's not God's Word being sharp to cut us into pieces. No, it's God's Word being so sharp and with surgical precision to get to the heart of the matter. And He does this, again, as only He can, to show us us. Again, let me explain. The Word of God, James says, is likened to a mirror. We search the Scriptures, but truth be known, the Scriptures are searching us. We examine the Scriptures, but truth be known, the Scriptures are examining us. To borrow a medical metaphor, it's like we go in for an examination, because there's a problem. And we need to diagnose 
what the problem is so we can treat it. So we go in and x-ray, what's those machines that they say, what is it? MRI. You're not supposed to do that, right? Aren't they bad or something? Anyway, I'll stay in my lane. So they, oh, how about this one? Ultrasound. You know they have the really high-tech ultrasound. You see everything, more than you actually want to see, actually. But you go in, and they're going to now do an examination. And we've got, we got to see what's going on. And this is what God's Word does. God's Word is like that ultrasound, that MRI, that x-ray, and it shows us, oh, look at that. First service today, um, had the privilege of meeting some visitors from Macaquilo, precious couple. Guy introduces himself to me, he said, we've been watching you online, and my wife and I just wanted to meet you, and I just wanted to share with you that I am a miracle because I had esophagus cancer, and they gave me six to ten months to live. I was a dead man walking. And he pulls out his phone to show me the pictures. And here's this color image. And he said, you see that glowing there that it looked like a, you know, like a light, a spotlight? He said, that was the cancer. The next image, gone. He said, they were just stunned. I love it when God does that. He completely healed him. But that, that was the problem right there. That's it. And that's what the Word of God does. It shows us the problem. Now stay with me on this because this is really important. God's Word delineates between the emotional and the spiritual. It divides, cuts, separates the soul from the spirit. What does that mean? The emotions from the spiritual, the emotional from the spiritual. Only God's Word can do that and pinpoint that with precision and perfection, because a lot of times, especially when you're going through a very difficult time, the emotions can take over. Nothing wrong with having emotions, that's how God made us, but don't let those emotions have you. And again, the Word of God is what brings you to that place where you realize, wait a minute, I've got this image in front of me. I see that's, that's the problem right there, and it pinpoints it. Now, we need to be healed. And thank God we have a God who heals as the great physician. Because the Word of God delineates the emotional from the spiritual, penetrating the precise problem and propelling us to the one who can fix it, heal it. Psalm 107 verse 20, listen to this. He sent His Word and healed them. His Word. And delivered them from their destructions. His Word. In Matthew's Gospel chapter 8, there's a really fascinating account. I'll begin reading in verse 5. We're told now, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to Him pleading with Him, saying, Lord, My servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, 
I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak the word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. Centurion, they were over 100, century 100 centurions. They had 100 people under them. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. In verse 13 we're told, Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way. And as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. He spoke it. When you get to verse 16, we read, When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. That is the power of the Word of God. It is sharp, perfect, precision. It'll pinpoint the problem. And then, like James says, the law is perfect, a mirror that shows us that we've transgressed the law. Then here comes the Holy Spirit, takes us by the hand like a tutor. You've broken the law? You've transgressed? takes us to the Savior, who saves, who heals. I want to just mention one more thing before we move on to verse 14 and 15. As a pastor, one of the things, and this is, I am certainly capable of this, but I've watched over the years how pastors have given in and acquiesced, caved in to the pressure, for lack of a better word, when it comes to God's Word. And by that I mean they've lost confidence in the power of God's Word. And what always ensues is now filler. You've got to come up with something, because apparently you don't think that God's Word is relevant enough. You don't think that God's Word is powerful enough. So what are you going to do? Resort to gimmicks. You know what's really interesting is, as one said, it's the Word of God by way of the Spirit of God that ministers to the people of God. And when a pastor loses confidence in the Word of God, they have just negated the Spirit of God. And so what are you going to do? Well, now you've got to come up with a substitute. And you need look no further than to all of the things they have to do to keep the thing moving. Because the Holy Spirit isn't moving. Why isn't the Holy Spirit moving? Because the Word of God is not preached. And the people are not fed. So instead of the people being fed, the sheep being fed, Now you have to entertain them. 
And if you want to entertain them, you're going to have to get smoke machines and free iPads and all the other stuff that goes along with it, just to keep their attention. I have to say, no pressure on me. It's not on me to keep and hold your attention. The Holy Spirit does that. I don't have to get up here and keep it going and keep it moving and, you know, (laughs) first of all, I would be exhausted. I'm exhausted just thinking about it and talking about it. That's what the Holy Spirit does. If I'm faithful to preach the Word, the Holy Spirit now is free. And it's in the power of the Holy Spirit to reach that deep recess in your heart. Put the finger of God on that thing that's got to go. We need to get that out. We need spiritual surgery. When my firstborn son Elias was four years old, we noticed a lump on his stomach. And of course, the way I'm wired, I'm, I'm assuming the worst is, oh no, he's going to die. <laughs> you know how it is. We always manufacture the worst case scenario. So we take him into the doctor, and the doctor says, it's a hernia. I'm like, a hernia? He didn't start weightlifting till he was 16. How does a four-year-old get a hernia? Well, he was what they call active alert. <laughs> That's an understatement. Anyway, he got a hernia. So he had to go in for surgery. And would you believe that I let the physician take a sharp instrument and cut into my son? (laughs) What kind of a father are you? No, I need to get that out and fix that up. So I have to let the great physician take the surgical instrument of His Word, I know it cuts, and cut into me, and get that thing out. That's what the Word of God does. The second one is in verses 14 and 15, and in addition to God's Word, it's God's compassion. Here, the writer of Hebrews directs us to our great high priest, who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, who is the Son of God. Now, you have to understand that he's writing to these Jewish believers that had come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And all of their co-workers and family and friends were constantly on them, really persecuting them, trying to get them to go back to Judaism. The temple had not yet been destroyed. So on a daily basis, all of their friends would go into the temple. And one day a year, the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. One day a year to make atonement. And they were still observing this, and the high priest would go in to the temple before it was destroyed, And on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, Day Kippur Atonement. And that high priest had to have no unconfessed sin, because he was entering into the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was, and as such, the Shekinah glory of God. And he goes in, 
on that day of atonement, behind the veil, I wish you don't picture in your mind veil, but this was a thick curtain that separated the most holy place from the holy place. So one day a year he would enter in to the most holy place, and if he had unconfessed sin, he died. Listen, if you're anything like me, and I suspect that you are, I'm not going to volunteer for that. (laughs) Really? Yeah. You're in the presence of God. It was so serious. Get this. They would tie a bell to his robe with a rope. So if they did not hear that bell ringing anymore, up, pull him out. (laughs) Whoops. That was their high priest. Now imagine this, picture this with me. You've got these Jews putting pressure on these new Christians saying, where's your high priest? (laughs) Oh, he's in heaven. Oh really? Wow. Your high priest is Jesus? Yeah. Well, look at our high priest. Look at our temple. Look at the most holy place. And this was a real thing for them, and this was a real hard thing for them. So the writer of Hebrews is wanting to encourage them, and really in a sense redirect them and remind them, (laughs) your high priest is Jesus. And you know that thick curtain, some Bible commentators estimate that it was like 18 inches thick. That's thick. Forget veil. Picture veil, it's like a, you know, thin little thing. 18 inches thick? When Jesus resurrected from the dead, that thing was torn down the middle, and that place was open because Jesus became our great high priest. Now, he doesn't stop there, thankfully. The writer of Hebrews goes on to explain that Jesus empathizes with our weaknesses, and he tells us why. It's because Jesus himself was tempted in every way that we are, but he didn't sin. And it's for this reason that Jesus has compassion for us, sympathizes with us, and is there for us, because He made atonement instead of us. It's done. No need. You want proof? Go look at that foot and a half thick curtain. It's been torn. If you were to ask me what I thought was one of the most misunderstood characters of God, this would have to be it. God even makes it very clear in the book of Exodus that He's compassionate and merciful and slow to anger, full of mercy, long-suffering. He's not angry. He took all of His anger, all of His wrath, and He put it on His only begotten Son on that cross that day. God is not angry with you. Maybe somebody needs to hear that today. He's not angry with you at all. He's not had it with you. (laughs) Get this. He even likes you. 
We're so glad you joined us for this edition of In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Throughout much of this book, Jesus is mentioned as the great high priest. Aren't you glad that you can go directly to him with your troubles? There's no need for an intermediary person to bridge the gap. Jesus became that bridge when he died on the cross. If you'd like to know or understand more about this concept, we encourage you to go to calvarychapelkaneohe.com and look for the resources tab. Under that, there's a link to the ABCs of salvation. This provides an in-depth overview of what it means to believe that Jesus died for your sins and saves you from a life and eternity without him. Hebrews simply touches on the fact that Jesus fulfilled all the things that were promised in the Old Testament. It's like when you're reading a spy novel and you're given clues earlier on, but then it all makes sense in the end. Would you like to connect with others in their faith walk? If you're not currently part of a church, join us at Calvary Chapel Kaneohe. We meet on Sundays at 8.30, 10.45 a.m. and Thursdays at 7 p.m. You can find directions at our website, calvarychapelkaneohe.com. While you're there, you might be interested in some additional teachings by Pastor J.D., including his Mideast Prophecy Updates. This is an accurate look at what the Bible has to say about this current time in the world's history. That's all we have for today, but thanks for tuning in. We hope you'll join Pastor J.D. for the next edition as we learn more valuable things from the book of Hebrews, right here on In Spirit and Truth.